everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Today we're continuing the series we began last week called Navigating Our Differences with Unity. Often our urge to be right can overcome our call to be gracious, and we stop resembling the Savior we're called to follow. This series looks at a period in the life of the early church where they faced the same struggle and looks at the principles God gave to help them. Today we're diving into the topic of government and how the Bible teaches us to think about and relate to it. That would ordinarily be controversial enough, but the passage we're going to read has an even more contentious history. Probably the most notorious sermon on this text was preached on March 21st, 1933, or what has come to be known as Potsdam Day. There were ceremonies and celebrations marking the reopening of the German parliament less than two months after the Nazis came to power. Adolf Hitler would give a speech later that day. But the festivities began with a worship service in the Church of St. Nicholas, where Protestant theologian Otto de Bellius preached on Romans 13 and the importance of supporting Hitler and obeying those in authority. It was a mes message that would be repeated in pulpits across the nation by pro-Nazi pastors. Debelius wasn't the first to misuse this text, and he won't be the last. It was used to justify the divine right of kings in medieval Europe. It was used to support slavery in the American South, and it was used in defense of apartheid in South Africa. And some would believe that it's being similarly misused today. So obviously, the stakes are high. We need to understand what it says and what it doesn't. So if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to turn with me to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. If you don't have a Bible, click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Romans 13, starting at verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of God. Now, New Testament scholar Douglas Moo said, It is only a slight exaggeration to say that the history of the interpretation of Romans 13, 1-7 is a history of attempts to avoid what seems to be its plain meaning. We don't want to do that. So let's get at the plain meaning, and then we'll deal with some of the nuance. The first principle it gives is this. Submit to the authorities because God has appointed them. God places leaders in our lives for our good and for his purposes. And so our attitude toward government reflects our attitude toward God. 
submit to the authorities because God appointed them. Verse one begins like this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He's urging them to cooperate with the government, to submit to the authorities. And this is his consistent message in the New Testament. In Titus 3.1, 3, for instance, he writes, remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities. That's the same word that's used in Romans 13. Here it says, be submissive. In Romans 13.1, it's be subject. Same word. The idea is we're supposed to follow the lead of the authorities in our lives. Now, you may assume that the people he was writing to would have found this obvious, but that's not the case. Jews in particular struggled with Roman control. There had been a number of Jewish insurrections prior to Jesus' ministry. But when he came, the rumblings of revolution only picked up steam. In John 6.15, it says that the crowd was about to make Jesus king by force. They were fed up with Rome. Frustration turned into desperation when Emperor Claudius expelled all Jews and Jewish Christians from Rome in AD 49. By the time Paul wrote this letter, there's a new emperor named Nero. But there's still a movement of zealots who are calling for terror tactics to bring down the regime. And Christians are particularly susceptible to this kind of appeal. Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. And Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. In the previous chapter, he's just taught them about not conforming to the world. In Romans 12, 2, for instance, he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can read that and think, I read the Bible now, so I know what's right. Jesus is my king, and so I'm not going to have these pagan rulers telling me what to do anymore. When Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, plenty of people would have been like, wait, what? Paul's preaching submission to at least some who would have preferred revolution. And it wasn't because he was cowardly or diplomatic. His theology demands it. He says, essentially, we need to follow the leaders because God's the one who gave them to us. In verse one, he gives the reason why Christians need to sub submit to authorities. He says, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Most of the Christians in Rome would have felt powerless before the forces of the empire. They didn't have a democratic process. They hadn't voted for their politicians. And if they had, they wouldn't have chosen Nero. <laughs> he became emperor at age 17 through the schemings of his mother. After poisoning her second husband, she married her uncle, Emperor Claudius. Then she killed his wife and convinced him to put Nero on the throne. And then just for good measure, she had his rightful, his biological son killed off as well. Everything about how Nero became emperor seemed sinful. But Paul said that this has been instituted by God. And the same is true for all authorities. It's not that God necessarily approves of them, but he does appoint them. It's not that they're perfect leaders, but they're the ones whom God has chosen for his purposes. 
And often we don't know what those purposes are. That's why he says in verse 4, he is God's servant for your good. And then later in the same verse, he says, he is the servant of God. I think when we read that, we think it must only apply to really amazing leaders or the ones that we agree with. But that's not the teaching of Scripture. Notice what Peter says to servants in 1 Peter 2.18. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. It doesn't just say submit to them, but it says submit with all respect. We're to submit respectfully even to unjust rulers, so the respectful submission can't depend on the leader's virtue. We respectfully submit out of our respect for God and for God's purposes. Now, that doesn't mean you can't appeal. It doesn't mean you can't ask tough questions or respectfully make your voice heard. But it does rule out grumbling, mocking, and rudeness. It means that slander and gossip are out of bounds. It means that the starting point in our attitude to any leader who comes to power is respectful submission. Whether you like them or not. Whether you voted for them or not. So submit to the authorities because God appointed them. But also submit to the authorities because they carry out God's justice. We like to fixate on what we think leaders get wrong. We think we'd make better decisions than them. We assume we know better. But God reminds us that anarchy is worse than imperfect law enforcement. So he calls us to submit to the authorities because they carry out his justice. This is actually an important principle, and I want you to watch how it gets made in this passage. In verse 2, it says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. He's making the point that resisting the authorities that God has appointed results in punishment. But the punishment is directed against those who are doing what's wrong. In verse 3, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And I realize we want to object at this point and say, Yeah, but sometimes the rulers punish people for doing what's right and reward people for doing what's wrong. And that's true. And we'll get to that later. But don't let the exception keep you from hearing the rule. Look what he says in the middle of verse 4. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Does that sound familiar? If you were with us last week, you heard some of the same words. In chapter 12, verse 19, Paul warned us to never avenge ourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Now he's saying that the authorities God has placed over us are his servants to carry out that wrath. God knows that they don't always get justice right. So he reserves his own judgment for that. But the fact is, God carries out much of his justice through the authorities. So we don't have a world of vigilantes. And it's a reminder that anarchy is worse than imperfect justice. As a reminder of that, the most terrifying period of Israel's history wasn't when they were in exile. 
It was in the time of Judges where we read again and again, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Governments have taken a wide range of responses to the pandemic, and every leader has their share of critics. But we should all be able to agree on this. If we had a free-for-all with no rules and no enforcement, people would be killing each other right now. You'd have brawls on buses and fistfights at shopping malls. Al Mohler put it this way, government itself is a gift, anarchy is the curse. Or Bill Vaughn said, a real patriot is the fellow who gets a parking ticket and rejoices that the system works. <laughs> but what do we often do instead? We complain about what a ridiculous place that was for a no parking zone. <laughs> or we grumble about how unreasonable it is that we can't park there. Unless we're the ones who are inconvenienced by the person who parked illegally, then our sense of reasonableness is completely different. I think Al Mohler is right. Government is a gift. So we submit to the authorities because God appointed them and because they carry out God's justice. But finally, God says we also submit to them because we owe them. God signed them up for a task, so we should recognize them for the role that they play. Submit to the authorities because God says you owe them. Now, after describing the role authorities play in carrying out his justice, verse 6 says this, For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. You might think this was obvious, but Paul is confronting a hugely divisive issue. You'll remember that taxation was one of the topics that his opponents used to try to turn people against Jesus. He famously answered, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. For many, that didn't settle things. The Roman historian Tacitus speaks of the resistance to paying taxes in Rome in the mid-50s, right around the time that Paul wrote this letter. And a year or two after this, there was a full-blown tax revolt in the city. It would be easy for Christians to argue that their money was going to pagan worship ceremonies and unjust wars. But Paul told them, you pay your taxes anyway. Are you faithful with your taxes? When a contractor offers to take off the tax if you pay cash, do you take the bait? The Bible says that the authorities are God's ministers and he expects us to pay them. It's disturbing how many people try to cut corners in this area. One, of this, one example of this is what happened in the States in 1987. Records indi indicate that 7 million children disappeared that year. That's shocking, right? Well, the reason for the sudden disappearance was that that was the first year when the IRS required people to list the social insurance numbers of their dependent children instead of just claiming to have children on the honor system. That simple change generated over $3 billion in additional tax revenue that year. And it showed just how many people were actually cheating. That's not okay for Christians. But the Bible says that the authorities de deserve more than a check. Paul closes this section in verse 7 with these words. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, 
Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Taxes, revenue, respect, and honor. If we're honest, for most of us, honor is often harder to pay than our taxes. Our natural tendency since the garden has been to resent authority. We're lawbreakers at heart. We've got rebel in our DNA. And so the best we can often muster up is reluctant submission. But we're called to honor. And it wasn't just Paul who said this. In 1 Peter 2.17, it says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The man who wrote those words was killed by the very emperor whom he charged people to honor. Tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down at the hands of Nero. But he's also the same man who famously said, we must obey God rather than men. The authorities in Jerusalem had ordered him to stop teaching about Jesus, and he flatly refused. How do you reckon those two sides of Peter? Did he lose his backbone over time? Did he become a coward in his old age? No, that's not it at all. And this is what Otto Debelius got wrong in his sermon on Potsdam Day. Submission and obedience are two different things. We submit to authority, but we obey God. The word submit is a military term, and it speaks of lining up under someone's authority. It recognizes a hierarchy, but it does so with the recognition that the ultimate authority is God himself. Only God deserves our unconditional obedience. Submitting to the authorities that he's appointed will usually involve doing what they say, whether we like it or not. But obedience to God means that we never follow an authority into sin. If Jesus is king of kings, then to follow a leader who tells us to do something in direct opposition to Jesus' commands is an act of treason. That's joining in a mutiny against God himself. And Romans 13 can never be used to justify it. And scripture is completely consistent in this. So, for example, when Pharaoh demands that the Hebrew baby boys be killed at birth, Exodus 1.17 records this response. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Notice it doesn't say they complained about Pharaoh or talked about, talked about him behind his back, about how evil he was. But when he asked them to sin, they flatly refused. The same thing happened when Nebuchadnezzar commanded people to worship him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to be thrown into a furnace rather than to worship anyone other than the true God. But notice what the biblical examples of civil disobedience share in common. They're always in response to people being required to violate clear commands of Scripture. You never have someone who disobeys the authorities just because they had prayed about it and felt that they shouldn't do what they were being asked. When the library asks me to return the books, I don't need to pray about whether to honor the due date. If I don't return it on time, I've disobeyed God. But when an employer or a politician demands that I break one of the commands of Scripture, I'm sinning against God if I do what they say. And if that feels hard, remember the DNA you were born with. 
Adam and Eve broke the only command they were ever given. And we've been fighting against authority ever since. We've got rebel in the blood. Lawbreaker isn't a recessive gene. It's only through Jesus's death on our behalf and on behalf of sinners that we can find the power to submit. It's only through the new heart and new creation we experience through faith in him that we have the courage to do what God says, regardless of the cost. If you haven't turned to Jesus, look to him for forgiveness. Look to him for the life he gives. Look to him for salvation. And as you do, honor the emperor, but fear God. Submit to the authorities, but only give Jesus your unconditional obedience. Let the clear, clear teachings of scripture guide you. Don't make it up as you go along. His way is perfect and his path is good. Let's look to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you work in this world and the wisdom that you give. We thank you that you haven't left us in a world ruled by the mob, ruled by vigilantes. We thank you that you haven't left us in anarchy and chaos. And we thank you for the gift of government. Father, we, we confess that too often we've been the ones who complained, grumbled, murmured. We haven't shown honor out of respect for you. And we pray that you would give us the submissive heart that Jesus showed us. And we pray also, Father, that you would give us the courage to demonstrate obedience to you when authorities call us to sin. Give us a discernment to know the difference between the two. And give us the strength and the power that we need to overcome the natural tendencies to resist, to think that we know better. Humble us, Father, under your mighty hand, and may you be glorified in our lives. For we ask you in Jesus' name, amen. I hope this message has helped you to see how your faith should cause you to think about and relate to government and the authorities in your life. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. And as always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.